Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey, all you avid listeners out there, this is Dr. John. And if you enjoy what you're hearing on these joint podcasts with me and my fiance, Jory Rose, please know that we are offering a week-long retreat in Costa Rica in April of 2023 at one of the top resorts in the country where the body workers are next level and you will learn from myself and Jory how to be in better relationship to yourself, to your loved one, and to everyone else. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Please feel free to check out the podcast notes for more links, details, and info. Thanks so much, and now on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with another episode of the Evolved Caveman. And I'm really excited to have with me today, Ellen McCormick. And Ellen is working on a book, which the working title is Going Postal, How Getting Angry in Public Can Be Transformational. And she has a story about going postal that she'll share in just a minute. And her blurb for the book says, while many books on anger offer helpful steps to follow or fixing yourself, learning your triggers, managing your strong, angry emotion, or retraining your brain, I believe what you need to do when the shit hits the fan is just stay put in an angry moment. Pay attention to, be aware of, and tune in to what's happening inside you. Staying with it creates a solution through it. Having an angry outburst can be the perfect environment, space, or place to create a new you, a better integrated you, which directly impacts the direction you want to take with your life. And she is looking for ideas and thoughts and feedback for this book as it's still in progress. And you can email her at connectingthroughanger at gmail.com, where through is spelled T-H-R-U connecting through anger at gmail.com. Ellen, how are you? Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for that intro, John. You're awesome. I appreciate it. And yeah, I'm always looking for uh, shortcuts like that. So through THRU in my uh, Gmail uh, email too. address. Thanks. Thanks for that. So tell me, how did you come to this point of writing this book? Uh, I've always been interested, I think, in creative writing. And I didn't know that probably till high school, taking some English class. And then I think college also, an English comp class. And I found I really liked creative writing. Then I went to grad school and in my doctoral classes and then writing a doctoral dissertation of over 400 pages, <laughs> although I couldn't get into wow. creative writing because it was more scientific writing. Um, there was still flexibility actually with each chapter for me to do a very integrative, um, creative um, weaving of the research that I had done on each chapter. And what I found in writing my dissertation, John, was, wow, writing has a life of its own that was so much fun. And I thoroughly enjoyed the whole writing process. Yes, I got frustrated at times. I'm like, forget this. It's dumb over it. <laughs> um, yep. But in the end, I finished and I love the process. And what happened next was so fat. That was in 1997 when I got my PhD. And I've always had in the back of my mind, I would love to write again. But I'm like, well, what would I write about? And it just stayed, it's always been in the back of my mind. Then I happened to be on Facebook and I don't know how, but a video popped up and I was listening to it. And this, this younger man was talking about everybody can be an author. So I'm listening and I just loved his approach. And so I bought his process. And let's say I'm making this number up, but just to give the, your, your audience um, an idea. Let's say there are 100 steps before you get to the end of publishing. Um, I'm probably on step 20. Okay. So I'm very much in the early steps. And I've been loving the process that Matt Rudnitsky has in his punchy book, Accelerator. Um, but I've been at a, I've been stuck a little bit because I need some more feedback before I feel I can 
because I'm looking for clarity within my own self. And I've put my little book bait that you shared a little bit out about in your intro. I put that out to family and friends. And it's interesting that very few have gotten back to me. But anyway, so how did wait, I- Wait, 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 wait. Why, do, why do you think that is? Why do well, you think no one's I gotten back to you? I have two, two thoughts about that off the top of my head. One is people are uncomfortable because I sent to my book bait and it's what, two or three pages, the longer version. Mm-hmm. and. People don't want to go there. And I think people don't like admitting, especially women, don't like admitting that they get angry or that's mm-hmm. an issue. Uh, so I'm guessing that's because in a couple of people that I've spoken with, one is an older, like uh, older cousin of mine in New York, um, like in her 80s, and who, who has said, there's no way I would allow that to even happen to me. I would never put myself angry? getting angry in public. Oh. I happen to be in the post office at the clerk. There is no way she said she would just continue to feel guilt. And there was, no, you know, that was it. Closed case, period. Mm. So, um, but I'm learning. I'm, I'm learning from all, all the input I'm getting. I'm, it's helping me. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's fascinating to me because I've done work in anger management for a long time. and. One of the struggles I've had is how do you reach people to say, hey, it's okay if you struggle with this and here's some tools that will help. But I I think to your point, no one wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to pretend it's not an issue because it only happens, I don't know, one, two, three, four percent of the time. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is that when we, we discussed this before getting on air is when we get angry with each other, we externalize all blame. So we just put the blame on the other person. So it's not really, I have an anger problem. It's if you would stop being such a fill in the blank, I wouldn't be so mad, which, I mean, that's really, really common. The vast majority of us do that. And the problem with it is it gives all our power away to the other party. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's like handing that emotional remote control to the other person and saying, here, mess with me. Yeah. Um, wow, you brought. So up a I lot totally of- feel you on this issue of not, <laughs> not getting much feedback. So, what specifically? What's the feedback that you're looking for? Um, I think number one, and maybe I could post my uh, book. It's called Book Bait because Matt calls it that. It's like a little taste, a little appetizer of what I'm trying to do. I don't know that it'll be in my book. It could be the something of a chapter. It could be an introduction. I don't know. But it's a little taste of what I'm trying to do. And I'm looking for feedback, number one. Probably it's going, my book is for people who are like me, who, uh, number one, maybe grew up in an environment where there was anger as a child growing up in the family. Number two, you, uh, what's the word? Um you took on that without even knowing it, that that became a response that you have to life. And number three is the part that I'm so interested in is, okay, given that my father screamed and yelled almost every day of our lives in our home, I have two older brothers, never at me, the youngest and the only girl, never at me. But was I impacted by that? Big time. I found that out in my therapy uh, yeah. A number of years I was in. Yeah, here. you just have to witness it. You don't have to be the recipient of it. Exactly. And so I think the third type of person that might be interested in what I'm writing about is not only that they grew up maybe with an environment of anger. Uh, number two, now that's part of their personality, so to speak. But number three is the transformation that is possible in and through that seemingly defective character. That's the hope. That's the transformational piece. And that's really what my doctoral work is all about. You know, spiritual formation. The and your entirety, PhD, yes. sorry, your PhD is in? It's the shorter, it's called the science of foundational human formation. But the um, easier way to think about it is formative spirituality. Okay. Formative meeting, and that gets into the quantum mechanics stuff that you and yeah, I Yeah, which we're going to get about. into, which I'm pretty yeah. excited about. 
So tell me, I think the other thing that might help the audience is tell the story that was so pivotal for you in the post office. Okay. Do you want me to read the story? Would take five minutes to read or just recap it? Read it? Whatever you want. Because it's in the first person, I think it might be easiest to do that. Okay, so for everyone who's listening, um, well, let me just, I'll just read this. I think it'll be in here. I'm ready to leave the post office when the clerk says, you can put these stamps on over there. I had just paid her with a check to pay for 25 nine by 13 envelopes for a, um, I was the secretary for a professional organization. I paid and she's pushing onto the little window there. Uh, You could put these stamps on over there. I'm furious and I say to her, don't you do that? Presumptuously, I'm thinking, after all, isn't that her job? I can feel my body tense up. My facial muscles tighten. My eyes feel like weapons rather than instruments for offering hospitality, which privately I would often pride myself for having. My heart's racing. I feel my chest muscles tightening more. She says, we're only allowed to put stamps on five articles. She says it very matter-of-factly. This seems so ridiculous to me. I'm embarrassed for not knowing this procedure of policy of procedure. Maybe she's right, Ellen. No. I believe I'm right. And I retort with vehement exasperation. I've never heard of such a thing. I'm stunned. I feel embarrassed venting my anger on her. I feel shocked by the ferocity of my words to this non-threatening woman. Her silence triggers my pain from experienced verbal abuse at home. When I was growing up, I see my angry outburst with a brand new awareness. Now I'm the one, not my dad, but I'm the one inflicting that pain. I feel so disconnected and alienated. I'm off. It's happening again. I'm losing it, I think to myself. There's a sadness and disappointment within myself. It overwhelms me. In this moment, time seems to have stopped. It's a moment of reckoning. Right now, I find myself believing I'm more than my anger. Yes, I can be kind and caring and funny and helpful. Ellen, just let go of your anger I hear inside me. I don't want to behave like this again. It can be such a pattern with me. I want to be open to living this moment out in a very different way. I'm overwhelmed with a want and a need to be reconciled, to be one with myself, and this non-threatening woman. I sense a movement within myself to surrender and take a risk with her. So I say to her, I'm not angry with you. My anger is from past visits here. This bulletproof wall scares me. Verbalizing to her, my body starts to relax. My voice tone is different. I'm no longer feeling the intensity of my anger. I feel good verbalizing in the moment about the origins of my anger regarding this place. There's still some fear in me as I try to continue to speak. I want to be honest, yet I don't want to harm her anymore. Can I do both? I decide to simply articulate what's going on inside me right now. And I say to her, I feel intensely afraid here. I don't like this environment or this neighborhood. And I live here. I don't feel safe. I hate the bulletproof wall. I feel like I'm being treated like a criminal, yet I haven't done anything wrong. Sharing my story with her makes me feel better. She listens without interrupting, and I feel accepted by her. She listens and replies empathically. I don't live in this neighborhood, nor would I care to. I'd be afraid too if I lived here. But the wall is here because we have been held up 
There are a lot of drug users in this neighborhood. We have to protect ourselves. Calmly, I tell her, I understand the need for the wall, but I still don't like it. She seems to understand. She tells me just this once, she'll take care of stamping the remainder of the envelopes. I feel grateful. I ask for her name and I thank her. We both smile. I leave the post office feeling both unnerved and relieved. I'm upset for getting so angry at her. And yet I'm glad at a deep level that I was respectful of her in the end. I am reminded how often I have thought, discussed, reflected, and tried to picture myself being able to do this someday in public. A gentle peace returns. I feel happy inside for choosing to respond with personal regard and caring respect. Everything seems so different to me. This place doesn't feel so ominous. I happily intuit that this encounter will have lasting effects. Wow, excellent writing. There's a bunch in there. So can I make a few comments on that? Sure. Um, One thing is just to share that I had a similar experience back in my early 20s. We were down in Southern California. First time I rented a car. We bring the car back and it's like, I don't know, 20 minutes past 24 hours. And so the guy at the counter says, I got to charge you for a second day. And I was like, and I, you know, I lost my temper. I was like, are you kidding me? Like it's 20 minutes past. Like, and he's like, nope, that's the policy. You know, if it's, if it's past 24 hours, it's a whole second day. Me having never rented a car before, I had no clue what the rule was. And I felt it was very arbitrary and unfair, kind of like your experience. And it makes me think that one of the universal anger triggers is bureaucracy or being stopped or being being treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of made me think, and I I wonder what percentage of the population has also experienced something like this. The other thing that comes to mind is this, you have a lot of emotions about emotion in that paragraph or in that piece. So it, to me, it makes me think of meta emotion. And, And I think this happens to us so often it's feeling about feeling. So it's, you know, you get angry, you lose your temper, and then you feel guilty about it. Then you feel sad about it. Then you're angry at yourself for getting angry. Then you're ashamed, you know, and so it creates this vicious downward spiral where it's not just that we lost our temper. Now we're beating ourselves up mercilessly for having lost our temper. Sure, for sure. And I've even experienced, not to the extent of this event that I wrote about, but um, other times where it can spiral down into self-hate. Yeah, self-loathing, self-flagellation, oh, absolutely. Like- and, and now, I, I mean, the inner critic in us is just brutal for most people. Yes. I actually, I, I've talked to a lot of people about that inner voice. And one person once told me, because I usually talk as if I'm that inner voice, so I swear a lot because my inner voice swears a lot at me. And... <laughs> So this one person said, no, I don't swear at myself in my own head. And I was like, oh my God, you're the one. You're the chosen one. Like you don't have any. Okay. I mean, seriously, I've only met one person that's ever said that. You know what that is? Oh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it just brought up a story I was thinking about. So my entire teaching career of over 44 years, 44 years, um, has mostly been in religious schools or parishes or church context. And um, I was giving a day retreat. And I will often tell my the group that comes to me for a day spiritual retreat or any kind of retreat, I'll just say, you know, I just want, after I've introduced myself and stuff, but I want to tell them up front, I say, you know what? I just want you to know that my favorite expression is holy shit. (laughs) And and it could come out. And I said, I usually use it if I'm really excited, like, holy shit, that's awesome. Um, Or if I'm scared, like, holy shit, what just happened? So I tell people up front, especially these are Catholics, because uh, 
if anybody, I find that group of people in my experience is going to be, oh my God, what did she just say? So I just get it up front, say it up front. So what happened was I gave this day retreat or a couple hours, two, three hours, and I'm called into my supervisor's office, not the pastor's, but somebody a little bit, a religious sister. And she goes, Ellen, somebody just came into my office and said, you said hell. I'm like, come, wow. come on, come on, come on. Now, sometimes, so she's like, you can't do that. I said, because you're asking me, I will try not to, but like, get over it. Come on, folks. Yeah. And sometimes, as I mentioned to you, um, I was a religious sister for a number of years. And, uh, and so as people get to know that, Sometimes I would on purpose say, holy <laughs> shit, or my new one, my new one. I don't know why it is, but I, to me, it's kind of, I go, what the fuck? Now, I don't really yeah, say that you. in public. I don't say it in public so much, but somebody will tell me something and it's like so funny or like you want to say, are you kidding me? That happened? So it just comes up and I say it around people who are safe. But sometimes I'll use it with very religious people, sorry, to say, you know, it's okay. <laughs> We're not going to go to hell and God doesn't really give a shit. I don't think. Well, here's the thing. And so one of the things that I was really excited to have you on is that you do have a past as a Catholic nun. And I think it's so freeing and liberating and helpful for other people to say, oh my gosh, there's a former nun out there that gets angry or there's a former nun out there that swears or has a sense of humor. And it kind of blows up the stereotype, which I love because I think we all do. Um, I don't know about swearing, but you know, we all get angry. And the Catholic Church in particular, I think, really struggles with some of these darker, more negative emotions. Right. You know, because, if, if you get angry, yes. you're not, you know, praying enough, or you can't yes. get angry at God, which I think is yeah. silly to me. Yeah. And there there's been different spiritualities in the past, the kind of separated body spirit, you know, uh they weren't connected. So yeah, I think anytime, and yeah, I mean, that's part of a struggle for me is that the church needs to be more open to what science is saying, psychology is saying, all the different sciences, what we can learn from, from them to become more integrative and really accepting of lots of varieties of people. I think accepting is one of the big keys there. I, I, both those words, integrated and self-accepting is huge. And I, I think, you know, like Buddhism is quite good about that, about accepting mm-hmm. science. I mean, the Dalai Lama has said, you know, I'm happy to submit my monks to the labs in the West. And if science finds something that overturns a basic tenet of Buddhism, I'll change Buddhism. Yeah. And I, I like the... I like the flexibility of thinking there. I like, I mean, Judaism does somewhat the same thing where they encourage questioning of the religion itself. Catholicism to me, and I'm not a religious expert, but Catholicism to me seems more like, listen to what I'm saying, accept it, believe it, do not go against what I say. Now, I think that's changed a little bit, um, but you would would know more than I. Well... You know, I did some ministry and I was on staff at a progressive Presbyterian church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I did some freelancing there while I was working on my writing on my dissertation. And and then they hired me to be the director of a spiritual spirituality center. And you know what I learned from them was, uh, and then when you go into the um, church, they have like coat not coat racks, little hooks where you can put your mm-hmm. coat. Yeah. And I, I felt like in Catholicism, I, now this is not true of every Catholic church, right? There's such variety. But in some that I've experienced, I feel like we've been asked to not just hang up our coat we didn't on the hook, but your brain, your mo- everything else, go into the church uh, kind of without... The totality your humanity. of humanity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, it's interesting at one point when I was in ministry in that particular Presbyterian church for almost six years, um, I was still very much engaged in the in the Catholic Church. So I'd go to my Catholic 
uh, mass on Saturday nights. And then Sundays often, there are like 12 professionals on staff at this um, Presbyterian church. And some were different denominations. I'm Catholic. Somebody else was a UCC minister. Some, so a lot of variety. And But we would all be asked to do things at the um, Sunday service at the, at the Presbyterian church. And I remember um, a friend of mine asking me, well, was I still Catholic because <laughs> I worked at a Protestant church? And I said to them, look it, I've met Catholics, I know of them, worked with them, where when it was time to go to communion, to receive Holy Communion, when their pew got up, they went to receive Holy Communion. That's what Holy Communion meant to them. The pew got up, so they followed the person in front. Mm. There are some Catholics, if you'd say, well, what do you believe? Why do you go to communion? They're not going to say, because my pew got up and I followed the lead. They'll say, because they may say something like, I believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in that sacrament. Okay. There are Protestants in that Presbyterian church who they go to, they receive Holy Communion because they truly believe in the presence of Jesus in that sacrament. And there are others who get up because their pew gets up. So I said to them, here's what I've come to believe. Both the Protestants that I knew in that Presbyterian church and the Catholics that I've known, whether you believe in transubstantiation or consubstantiation, I said, you know what? People are going to argue about that till for all eternity, let's say. But what we all believe is somehow Jesus shows up. And that was good enough for me. So can I still be Catholic and working in a product? Of course. You know, I mean, I'm not doing that now, but um, people want to box people in. Mm -hmm. It's a shortcut to thinking, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, um, just so it cuts us off in so many ways. Let me, let me ask you this, because this is one of the, and I know you don't speak for the whole Catholic Church, but one of the problems that I Thank I've you had, for that, John. Yeah, well, I, feel, <laughs> I feel absolved. I feel absolved. <laughs> Hold on, let me get some holy water. <laughs> and, but here's the problem I have with Catholicism, and, and I guess more broadly Christianity. If I can, I can imagine or conceptualize of a God that is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. And if I put myself in that God's shoes, which is kind of hard to do, I don't see myself putting one religious icon or figure in one section of the world and saying, this is the only pathway to heaven. Where, especially back in that time, two thirds, three quarters of the earth had no access to him or his teachings. If I were all-knowing and all-powerful, I would put different religious icons in different parts of the world that were culturally specific, offering teachings that offered a better way of being. What are your thoughts on that? I think you should be interviewed for the position. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen two popes? So by the way? Yes. I think it's Netflix. That's fantastic. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, so here's where we're going to get to my level of, I don't know, it's not discomfort, but it's, it's an unknowing um, that you're really touching on this whole notion of God. Um, in April, I was diagnosed with pneumonia and the flu, and I was really, really sick. I was probably in bed for two, two and a half days. And I had this amazing experience. I've had them before. They're, they're not, I've had it before, but this was like, and it happened in the wee hours of dawn. It was still dark out and I'm rolling around. I'm in bed for a couple of days. And I had been struggling with, I'm losing my moorings. I'm losing, this has been over a period of, say, a few years, but it came down to, I, I'm losing my moorings. I'm losing what is connecting me to all that is. I'm losing. 
And really what, what's, what's been happening to me over the years is my Roman Catholicism was my, my hermeneutic. It was my, the way I integrated life for myself, for people who came to me for spiritual direction at the retreat center where I worked or the parishes or wherever. All of that was getting torn, felt like it was getting torn away. So I had this image in that moment in April, mid-April, in the wee hours, you know, where you're half asleep, but you're turning over. Oh, yeah. And here's what I heard. Ellen, what if it's good? Hmm. What if losing your moorings is good and it's going to bring you to greater freedom? Oh, my God, that that changed everything for me. What hope? Yeah, it makes me think of, and I can't remember the philosopher because that's like 35 years ago, but I believe it was Jacques Derrida who said that, you know, one of the best ways for real spiritual and psychological growth is via a shattering of one's framework. And so it's like taking the glasses off that you through which you view the world and throwing them on the ground and stepping on them. And then you have to get down on your hands and knees and piece them back together, which necessarily means that you're going to view the world differently. Yes, and, uh, you know, ideally more in a more evolved way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what that makes me think of. It, we assume that it's going to be bad. And it's, I mean, it's, I think it's great and terrible at the same time, right? It's, yeah. it's difficult and painful. And yet yes. the end result... I believe is better. Yes. Yes, absolutely. See, and that's what that's what my my um doctoral work is all about and that's why I think I want to write about this event where I think these ordinary things happen to people every day. I think many times people don't know to really pause later go back to that and reflect upon it because it becomes um you know, we talk about the flow of spiritual formation, spiritual formation meaning your, the totality of your being in this world, in relationship with other people and the larger world around you, that there's this flow of coming from something. So for me, from anger, and I get to gratitude, and I'm, then I look at what's the through movement. I go from anger to gratitude. What broke into this? that helped me shift into gratitude. And that's where in my story, the woman didn't scream back at me. Who does that? You scream and yell, somebody screams and yells back, right? That's how it was in our family. Yeah. Somebody else, bam, bam, bam. The woman was silent. And in that silence, and it was split second, I'm talking nanoseconds, but in that split second of silence, I'm reminded of, oh my God, I'm acting like Terrence, my dad. And I was the apple of his eye. I had a nice relationship with my dad, but he screamed and yelled every day at my mother and my one of my brothers. And then in that moment, I recognize, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. And in that moment, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to be different. So, so in that moment of silence, I'm remembering all these things. And then this desire bubbles up in me bubbles up and I hear, Ellen, you're more than your anger. You're kind, you're caring, you're helpful, you're the... And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, and I think that was a big clincher for me as I look back now is, oh, wow, I am good. I can be good right now. I can be a better person. There's a a couple of things that bubble up for me as you're saying that. One is that I think one of our fundamental needs, or maybe three of our fundamental needs, is to be seen, heard, and validated. Mm, I like and the, that. the postal worker employee did a great job of not reacting to you, mm-hmm. but she responded more thoughtfully. And it feels to me, and I, you can answer this better than I, but it, it feels to me like she saw you. She heard you. She validated yes. that, yeah, yes. the bulletproof glass or wall is scary. That yes. Going to the post yes. office does make you feel like you've done something <laughs> wrong. I get that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, um, see, she was, she replied with empathy. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's the game changer. That was the game changer. The title of my dissertation is Moving from Anger to Gratitude, the Formative Power 
of an empathic encounter. Have you looked at Buddhism in that regard? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, in our dissertations, we had to also, whatever we were trying to validate, um, so we, va- we, we did research on a generic human being. Then we did research again with now a human being with a religious context. So cool. we had to go outside of the researcher's faith tradition. So mine's Christian. I chose Buddhism. You could choose whatever you want because you had to validate that what you're trying to say in your research is also true in, in another faith tradition. Mm-hmm. And then we had to also... Um, apply our research and our, our uh, to a particular group that I myself belong to. So I had to take my research and I chose Christian women in therapy because that was my experience. I was a Christian woman in therapy. Um, trying to think if I was in therapy at that moment or a few years before. But anyway, uh, so yes. Uh, and there are, yes. So uh, I did it, study I mean, Buddha. If you ask me now, I'm not going to remember all the. Yeah, that's Buddhism okay. Stuff, I, I just, I think it dovetails nicely with that point. And one of the things that I think we would all benefit from is by looking for similarities rather than differences. And, and I see this, you know, you see this in the naming trends of new parents lately, right? That there are many of them are trying to do these, uh, I don't know, unusual, unique first names for their child. So they stand out and they're separate and they're different and they're special. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that what we need as human beings is far less of differentiating ourselves from one another and far more of looking for how we're similar. And that's why I love the level of emotion because my experience has been that on that emotional level, we're all the same. So I may not have had the same experiences as you, But the emotions that have resulted from your experiences are almost identical to the ones I've had. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's the foundation of empathy to me. And I I see the same thing in, as we were talking about Christianity and Buddhism, you know, I think we'd be far better served if we looked for how are these world religions similar than different. Yeah. And when I, when I was a sister um, at one of our academies actually here in the area, uh, I taught, I think, seniors, world religions. And what was so wonderful was when these young girls would say, because they, they mostly, they were born and raised Catholic, as I was too. Their friends were Catholic. They hung around with Catholic girl, you know, folks. But they came, they realized, oh, wow, this faith tradition, this one, they have sacred texts too. Or they pray, you know, all these commonalities. And, because they, I, you know, I said, you're going to be going off to college. And many of you won't know who your, um, at that time, who your uh, roommate was going to be and who, who else, who you're, you're going to be putting with a lot of different people. And how can we honor and respect that and learn from it and grow from it? Um, so absolutely, I think we need to find what's, what's common to us. Yeah. So thank you for sharing I want to go back and... to one. Oh, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> There's so many places <laughs> I want to go. Okay, what, what, go ahead. Well, when you started talking about God, this is, so when I talked about I'm losing my moorings and I had that experience, I'd say since 2017, 18, maybe, uh, so not long, I've been introduced to the uh, writings of a Franciscan sister by the name of Ilia Delio, Ilia Delio. And the name of her website is the Center for Christogenesis, all one word. But What I'm finding is for her, now she's a Franciscan sister, but she is, she is so outside the box of Catholicism. She's in it, but maybe there's lots of holes that she's (laughs) able to permeate, you know, because she's a, she's got like two PhDs, one's in pharmacology She's wow. studied neurobiology. She's got another one in historical theology or something like that. And then a couple of uh, masters. Anyway, she's on YouTube. She's okay. much easier. She's really good. on. If she's easier to understand on YouTube than to read her books. Her books are very dense. But she's saying, what about God as evolution? Yeah. Not in the beginning was the word, but in the beginning was matter 
And we know matter, all matter has some form of consciousness. You know, and Teilhard de Chardin, she's a Teilhard de Chardin scholar, says, and this is now my, so I'm trying to build some new foundations for myself that honor who I am as an evolving Ellen at this point in her life at 70 years old. Um, So my new uh, founding block is love is the heart of the universe. Mm. Now, not romantic love, but you could think in terms of romantic love. There's attraction. So in the particles, the cells, the atoms, the molecules, whatever, there are things that are attracted to something else. And in that attraction, new life emerges. And as new things emerge, things come together. And as things come together, new forms that wouldn't exist unless these came to start to emerge. And this is going on in a quantum way. Right. You know, quantum, everything's interrelated to everything else. And then that nonlinear reality of you've got two particles right there at your desk and one particles at your desk and another we're going to put 2000 miles away from you. So they've already interacted. They're quantumly entangled. One's here and one's 1500 miles away. And somehow if you did something to the one near you, the one that's 1500 miles away is going to be impacted. And there's no way they can explain how does that communication happen? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Einstein called it spooky something. Spooky entanglement. Yeah, you know. I think so. That there's yeah. there's this this mysterious. And he couldn't explain it. No, he didn't even believe in it. I was going to say he was he was suspicious of yeah 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 yeah. And now so, it's been proven in studies. Yes, yes. It's been shown to be true, which is wild. Exactly. But so I, I don't and, even and to me I that don't speaks even... to the truth of sorry, that speaks no. to the spiritual truth of all is one or all are interconnected. Yes. And that to me is a huge foundational truth because yes. if I really, really grasp that truth, then I'm not gonna attack my brother in on any level. Yeah. Well, I got a story for you from yesterday, but okay. I won't share it. <laughs> no, I won't share it. Because <laughs> I know it. I, I believe it deep in my heart. And boy, did I get triggered about a contractor that's not getting his work done after 14 mm-hmm. months, you know? And, and, and so I found you're myself still human, texting. Right? Damn it. Yes. And then that, I go back that part to my frustrates me, honestly. Because <laughs> well, I still have to deal with this five layer meat sack that I reside in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's a reality. Like I have this meat suit that I wear and yet I've also got this intellect and emotion and spiritual yes. aspect to myself too. And trying to make all those wholly integrated to use your terms yeah. is frustrating as hell at times. Yeah. I used to tell my, I get to, I get, to, I feel you, John. I used to tell my students to get at that same dynamic where we're emotional beings, we're thinking beings, we're vocational, we do things. I've got my, my preformant, but you know, um, who I was in the womb and, and what I, my cultural, my history. And I used to tell my students um, uh, about the Pillsbury Doughboy. So we're the Pillsbury Doughboy and life pokes at us through all these different dimensions of our being. And all these dimensions of our being are in constant dialogue with each other. I'm not aware of it until I am. Oh my gosh, my mm-hmm. foot hurts. Or oh, I was deeply hurt by what that person said to me. Then I tune in. That's why it's so important that we have a prayer chair or we have a place or a space where we can catch our breath. But we have to be intentional, I think, about, yeah, what what happened today? You know, like um, this is an Ignatian, St. Ignatius of Loyola. One of his practices I, I used to share with folks is when you put your head on the pillow at night, just take a quick, uh, what do you call it, review. Push the playback button. Was there anything that stands out to you that was awesome? Just note it. Note it. And what about, was there anything that took your life away or took your energy away or depleted you or upset you severely? And some people will keep a log of it because then you can chart these things and you can actually, here's how I would say it in Christian language, you can actually see how God is directing you in your life if you pay attention to it. Um, so now I would say, 
So you can see how you're the wholeness, W-H-O-L-E-ness of life. Because all of this is in dialogue. My body, mind, spirit is all in dialogue with the greater universe, cosmos, world, what's going on in CNN, what people get through social media. We are one big attraction, right? And that's a lot to sort out. That's why discernment is really really important. I used to talk about the sermon is, you know, the guys were panning for gold. So they mm-hmm. get all this muck in their, in their um, sieve or whatever they were using. And then you, you're, you're shaking it. And that's what we do when we, when, and that's what I want to do through this book, I think is for people who want to maybe look at something in their life, I can teach them how to peel off those layers, all that stuff that's going on, all these different levels of our being in dialogue with the greater mystery whatever people call God. Um, And you can see, you learn so much. You grow and you change and it's a transformational experience. It's been that for me. Yeah, well put. Yeah, I like panning for the nuggets of gold. Um, But But some people don't want to do it, John. Like like my my one relative is like, I don't want to go there. Hell no. Like she's basically saying, I think what you did was totally wrong. You got upset in public. How could you? And that's sinful, probably. And I'm like, you're missing the point. Yeah. You know, just be a human being and goodness will flow if we're open to it. And how do I stay open? What helps me? You know, and one of the things that helps, I think, if somebody if somebody um, gets angry and blows up at you, John, for you just to stay silent, give them a chance to mm -hmm. hear themselves. That's a helpful thing. Well, you know what? One of the things I try to practice, which I'm not always doing, but you know, on, on a good day, I will wish loving kindness thoughts upon them when they're losing their temper with me. So I'll be thinking yeah. in my mind, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you yes. live life with ease and well-being. Yes. And I don't know if it does anything for them, but it does bring my physiology down and relaxes me. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully they will pick up through empathy on my physiology and it will yes. relax them too. Yes. But yes. I, have, I have a story that I want to share with you and I want to get your thoughts on um, because it, it, it bugs me. It's like society's reaction or maybe Christianity's reaction to it. Um, so back when I was a school psychologist, I was a rookie. And I remember I had a, a gate teacher. So a teacher of like kids with 99th percentile IQ and above. And she said, hey, can you talk to a, a student of mine? She uh, lost a niece recently and she's been sobbing in class for a day or two. And I said, yeah, sure. Like, I, I, what am I going to say? Like." It's one of the, it's one of those great tragedies that philosophers, theologians, theologians, I mean, everyone's trying to solve. Like, how, why would a God allow bad things to happen to good, innocent people? Anyways, she comes in and she starts explaining her story and she starts crying. And she says, you know, there was a, her cousin and her aunt and uncle, the family lives like a mile away. Their families are very close. They're Christian. And, the the parents had a newborn daughter who died at six months of age of sudden infant death syndrome. No one's to blame, just it's tragic. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, shit, what do I say to this? And I said, well, okay, so you're a Christian, right? And she said, yeah. I said, so do you believe to some extent that God had a hand in making all of this? And she said, yeah. I said, okay, so would you agree that God had a hand in making your emotions? And she said, yeah. So, okay. So my belief is that God knows that you're going to be really, really angry with him, furious with him. And your anger to him is like a drop of rain in a rainstorm. And he's already forgiven you for that anger. He knew it was coming, not a big deal to him. He's forgiven it. You're good with him. Now you just need to forgive yourself for getting angry with God. And her first response was, oh no, I couldn't do that. I, that's a sin. Yeah. And, and I get it. I get it from a religious perspective. And yet, you know, kind of the five layer meat sack idea, yet we're also human. And we have these emotions that we have to figure out the best way to deal with them. Yeah. And 
So anyway, so I got her to this acceptance of the fact that she was really pissed off at God, which makes absolute sense to me on an emotional level. And I think that this happens all the time. I think that there are things that happen in our life that no human is to blame. Right. Cancer, genocide, suicide, whatever. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could point to. And our human response is to get enraged with God and say, how could you allow this to happen? And I wonder how much of this dynamic is responsible for something like atheism. Because I've talked to a lot of people where they're like, screw you, God. And they turn their back on God and they walk away. And I think that's based in anger. And it's funny because I've talked about this for years and it makes people really uncomfortable. And I did a, like a seven, it was a seven class mini course on forgiveness for simple habit. And the seventh class was on forgiving God for this. It was on this topic. They cut that class. They didn't include it. Oh, too risky. And I was like, you chicken shits. Yeah. This is important. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Wow. You're just bringing up a lot of stuff here, John. Um, <laughs> first, I want to go back to one thing that I heard in the beginning. I thought, wow, that was awesome. Um, where you helped that young girl to understand that her own emotions were good. Yeah, normal. Even if she was feeling anger, you know. One time that's coming to mind now where somebody shared something really, really sad. I don't know that they were angry at God, though. That's the part that that would be different. Mm -hmm. But I remember saying something. Now, this is a while back. This is how I would have said it was. Perhaps God is weeping with you, you know? Um, But when something or someone is taken from us that we can't explain, maybe that's where we have to teach people or start exploring what could be our response. Because who, who teaches us how to deal with stuff like that? And maybe they're hearing about how could God do this from adults, which I totally understand. I totally understand. Um, Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have any any kind of answer for that. I think what you did was awesome. Thanks. To me, it's fascinating because I think it is that intersection of humanity and spirituality, and that's where the rubber meets the road sometimes, and that's where things get uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. And that's, to me, that's what spiritual formation is all about. Where daily living is where we experience God. Daily life. But we have to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and and perhaps learn ways to notice, to track, to believe. Um, But I had not thought in terms of atheism and being you know, angry with God, but I could see that. And I'm not saying every atheist. No. Yeah. Right. I could definitely see a significant percentage of them. Yeah, that's where I that's where I think people have to learn to explore who they are. Yeah. Explore those thoughts. One of the things that, you know, I'm so enjoying about you and your other podcasts is why can you speak so openly? Is because You've gone through, you've delved into your own stuff and claimed it as your own. You know, I think that's what, I know that's what some of my friends will say. Well, Ellen, you know, you know how to say it. Why not to say it? Because I'm working with it. Yeah, you've done the work. I've done the work. And the work work. is uncomfortable. It is. But to me, it's worth it. Oh, yeah. It's it's who I am. It's what I'm about. And um, so I want to thank you for that. Oh, you absolutely. You're welcome. Man. You know what I was, you know what I wanted to tell you when I was looking at I said, oh, what's when I first I said, what's the name of the podcast? And and I thought, you know what, John? It's just a suggestion. But what about the evolving caveman? Oh, Ellen. <laughs> Damn it. You're right on point. I, I was I was gonna say that. And actually, you're the second guest that said that to me, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. 
And well, it's and I and and I came up with the name and then I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then later I was like, oh shit. It's I, I'm not done. I'm never done. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be oh shit, because it's like that to me is the essence of life where that's why I want people's input on, hey, what do you think about what I'm writ- what I've written or what ideas do you but, have or what would you because that's that's you evolving. That's you emerging. Yeah. Well, that's and, the and the way ongoing... that I think about it is yeah. it's not me that is the evolved caveman. The evolved caveman is like a platonic ideal that we are striving towards. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But evolving because that's what our universe is. Uh, yeah. And that's what our bodies are and our minds are. And that's really what I'm learning is really the essence of what life's about. I think life is about change. And learning to accept change and learning to figure out the best way to evolve and deal with it. Change for what purpose would you say? That's a really good question. Um, I would think change for increased connection, increased love, increased understanding of how do we integrate this mind body, spirit of this five layer meat sack that we are in. Because I mean, it makes me think of, you know, like Descartes who said, I think therefore I am, which really took me off track for years because he separated mind and body. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, I, I imagine, and I'm not sure there's the same thing between spirituality and body somewhere. And that's not the point. I think that takes us off track. The point is, how do we integrate all these different aspects of ourselves, come to some form of self-acceptance and peace so that we can connect more fully and more authentically with other human beings or other beings? Yeah, if that would be like a common goal, a common goal of humanity, maybe there wouldn't be all these wars. Yeah. Maybe I... Uh, <laughs> I created, not I created, but I feel like I participated in a little way yesterday with this texting with this contractor. And there's a win win situation. He doesn't want to do it. And da 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 da. Anyway, um, yeah, for me, I think I, you know, one of the reasons I loved working uh, when I was in Florida, I was in Florida for 14 years. I got asked to come down and work with a Catholic cathedral there. And, um, for a little bit and then I did some other stuff but I got involved I was asked to get involved with um, um, drug rehabs working with addicts and alcoholics love 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 that work uh, when I moved to here to the St. Louis area found out Missouri doesn't accept 350 credits of addictions training I'm like oh but what I loved about working with addicts and alcoholics they were like me in a sense that I was like them, although I didn't have a, a, you know, a drug of choice um, that I was struggling with uh, per se, sugar maybe, but, um, (laughs) you know, I just found that like me, many of them, not all, but many of them wanted to change and become a better person, you know, and somebody asked me once, somebody from the rehab where I was working. Ellen, what is, or one of the classes I was attending was, well, what do you want your, your patients, your clients to know? When you're do, running spirituality groups with 20, 25 folks, what do you want them to know? I said that at their core, they're good. And I really think, John, that what I really want others to know is what I struggle with myself. Yeah. Because when I'm angry, when I was angry like that, in my core, I, who feels good about screaming and yelling at somebody? That's why that was so powerful. Ellen, you're more than your anger. That freed me up to, to then be open to something else. Open your mouth and apologize. I learned that. I learned mm-hmm. how to do that in therapy. Then I could do my therapeutic helps. It was articulate what's going on right now. I'm so sorry. I'm afraid. I'm scared. Da, 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 da. And my faith then was saying, yeah, I want to be reconciled with this person. I did some harm here and I want to make up for that. So it's just all this stuff is going on in our being. And we, we it's like, you know, like here I had to plug in my, uh, my cord to put this headset. We're plugging in. We're plugging in. There's so much stuff coming at us. 
So yeah, I, wow this this conversation has been truly enjoyable. I have I, I've loved this conversation. I love you. Love your energy. Um, thank you for coming alongside and and just chatting with me. Oh, loved it, John. Thank you so much for the invite. And um, I look forward to any feedback from your listeners. Um, would yeah, be so helpful. Regarding that feedback, yeah. please email Ellen at connectingthroughanger at gmail.com, where the through is T H R U, connectingthroughanger at gmail.com. Ellen, any last parting words? Any last bits of wisdom? Well, here's what I always share with people. There's more to me than what you see. There's more to me than X, Y, Z. Life, God, reality is always poking at us. And if we can just tune in, find a prayer chair, find some space, put some nice quiet music on, relaxing music, and just tune into who you are. You're more than your anger. You have some say, each one of us has a say in who we are becoming. Sometimes I'm good at participating in that. And sometimes I say, the hell with it, not today. So yeah, sometimes thank you, John. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. And that is it for this episode of The Evolved Caveman or The Evolving Caveman. If you liked this show, please like, rate, review, and share it. If you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 